1: listening to the Vox Media
0: Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck,
2: The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of BTL, and what a time it is! to be an MMA fan. We're a little over 48 hours away from UFC 285. A phenomenal card on paper. A main event that is just so incredibly intriguing. We have the return of one of, if not the greatest fighter, to step inside of a cage. We'll talk a lot about UFC 285 later in the program. A lot happened in the MMA world and beyond this past weekend as well. So there's a lot to talk about. So let's get into it. First, we're going to introduce our special guest, Speaking of this past weekend MMA, this man picked up another win inside the Octagon, another submission win inside the Octagon, and he got himself an extra check, a bonus check <laughs> for his second round submission of Carl Deaton Third at UFC Vegas 70, making his second appearance on the program, UFC lightweight contender, Joe Selecki, Joe, welcome back, my man. Congratulations on the victory. How are you?
3: I'm good. I'm trying to get that kind of performance on here today instead of the no contest, so... <laughs> we're coming for the bonus today. That's my goal.
2: <laughs> there you go. And back on the show, he is our Woody Page, Mr. No Gray Area. He's the exhibition king. He's your favorite hot take artists. Hot take artist from No Bets Bard And Damn, they were good. Mr. Jed Mishu. How we doing, buddy?
1: Doing great. Just shout out to Joe cashing my parlay last week. Just, just doing things to Carl Deaton. And I'm no Carl Deaton, though. That's all I got to say. I think I can put up a better fight.
2: (laughs) Ah, all right. Uh, Before we get into this, Jed, I have a question for you because we had a a heck of a morning today as we typically do on Thursday mornings, and we had at least one person call in uh, and had a question for you. So I'm going to ask it to you right now because they wanted to hear your reaction to some big news that happened over the last 36 hours or so, and I didn't know when I'd be able to squeeze it in, so we'll go ahead and do it now. So. Your favorite fighter of all time in the UFC, Darren Till, is no longer on the UFC no. roster. He says he asked for his release. He was granted said release. He vowed to be back. But as of right now, he's no longer a UFC fighter. So being the president of the Darren Till fan club as you are, I think it's fitting to get your reaction to this news.
1: It was just weird, right? Like uh This is – I know nothing. This is entirely a statement of ignorance and just total guesswork. I don't even know what could cause this except for uh, that he's injured and wants to get on that Conor McGregor exit USADA, uh, you know. Like that's the only thing that this makes sense. If he's planning on coming back and it's not, hey, I want to be released so I can go back box Jake Paul because that's clearly not the thing like I just have I have no idea what this would be other than I am injured have a history of perpetually being injured and I would like to take some extra vitamins to to get myself back to square one I was super weird uh I don't think any of us saw it coming and I I guess we'll know more moving forward if he does announce that he's signing with somebody, doing something else, or if he just is gone for two years before coming back, then we'll know. But uh yeah, super weird, but good. That's one less ranking spot in middleweight to be taken up by a dude who hasn't won since the Obama administration.
2: <laughs> well, uh okay. Well, there's, I, I said I would ask and, and there we go. So let's get into this past Saturday. Am I wrong? Is world. it
1: not super weird that this just happened, right? like
2: It is. <laughs> The damn roster bot is, uh, is, is the best newsbreaker in MMA right now. The roster bot Twitter account. He's all over it. Unbelievable, but uh, let's start with UFC Vegas 70, a wacky card, uh, not a bad one by any means, but wacky for sure because we lost the main event right as the main card started. We got Brendan Allen versus Andre Muniz as the new main event. Brendan Allen gets the job done. He submits Andre Muniz in the third round. And Jed, we'll start with you. What was your reaction to Allen's big win? And was this in your eyes more of Brennan Allen leveling up and being better than we all thought? Or perhaps you and I specifically on our rankings, maybe we were a little too quick with ranking Muniz as high as we did.
1: A little column A, a little column B, right? Like... Uh, you said coming into this, Mike that like you thought this was going to be the toughest test for for Andre Muniz and I didn't totally agree with you. I didn't totally disagree with you. I, I sat on the fence uh, a little bit and turned out should have just agreed because it very clearly was. uh I will say Andre Muniz did not look uh great or like he had his fastball that night for whatever reason, but that's not to take away from Brendan Allen's performance. I mean, he dominated the grappling exchanges got, got himself a finish maybe probably, probably the best he's ever looked inside the ufc and now he's like a legit top 15 middleweight you know like he's he's now going to be a going concern so i in these situations i normally want to defer to uh player b was better than we thought but i do feel like uh in this particular instance a couple of us were so high on Andre Muniz and uh, with the benefit of hindsight, you can look back and say, well, Jed, you frequently make statements like, uh, Darren Till hasn't beaten anybody good ever and is terrible as a result. And then you can look at Andre Muniz's record and be like, well, actually, uh, he hasn't really beaten anybody good ever. So I, I think it's a little bit of both, right? Of he tapped out Jacare, and we all got really excited by that because that's still an incredible accomplishment. Uh, and then he backpacked Uriah Hall for 15 straight minutes, and so some of us, hand up, were like, oh, this dude is the next grappling truth of this division. He's the next Demian Maia, Jacare, etc." And it may not be the case. Like, he might just be a good dude. Maybe he just had an off night, uh, but – based on how that fight looked, it just kind of feels like Brendan Allen is, has leveled up uh, certainly to some extent. Because, again, the other thing to remember in this is Brendan Allen's what, like 28? He's not 30. Um, that's yeah. super young to be like, you can make a bunch of development in a very short span of time. He's been around for a long time. He's fought, you know, 40 times or something. But uh, I'm going to say this is more a leveling up. But there is definitely some of the we might have overrated Andre Muniz.
2: Joe, I know you were basking in your victory, celebrating the spoils of victory. Uh, What did you think of Brennan Allen's performance? Did you get a chance to watch? And if so, what did you think of it?
3: Yeah, I watched live because we were watching the card and being like, okay, there's been a bunch of finishes, but no fight that's like warranted fight of the night. So maybe we'll do four performance bonuses. So I was like, okay, if he doesn't get submitted in the first two rounds, we're good. There's no finish here. You know, I I was kind of... I guess what I had seen of Muniz as well, I thought it was going to be he has like that knockout punch submission version, you know, where at any second you're not safe. And uh, I never expected Alan to stifle him. I thought, you know, I thought he could grapple with him a little bit, maybe survive, but I never thought he would completely shut him down. I thought it would be survive, get back up, kickbox a little bit, kind of a boring fight. Um, I definitely never thought he was going to submit him. So we were watching at dinner on my phone so I was trying to see like, and then as soon as Alan's up, I'm like, well, I'm not getting performance of the night. That was my main concern. But then I was also shocked on how it went, you know? When you look at, like, like Jeb just said, all the changes he's made, had Deanna in his corner, been going up to Philly too with like Sean Brady and those guys. Uh, I think he came in you know, with the right template to beat him, which was kind of that top pressure, keep his hips square, wear on him, and then he, he kinda of capitalized. And it might be the knees wasn't as good as, you know, I thought as well. Um, I thought it was so impressive what he did to Uriah Hall, but then in hindsight, when you look at it, you're like, Well, he didn't finish him and Uriah Hall hasn't been a guy with the best ground game. So uh it could be like, you know, like he said, a little bit of a little bit of A and B, but uh definitely impressed with uh with Brendan Allen, especially with, you know, his only losses in the UFC coming into guys that are gonna do, you know, excellent since
2: that fight joe we also saw the return of tatiana suarez she returned after nearly a four-year layoff submits montana de la rosa in the second round and she wants to go back to Strawway, wants to compete for that title long time away and sometimes and we were talking about this there's a new crop of fans who had never seen tatiana suarez fight like she hadn't fought since pre-pandemic no idea who she was people were wondering like why are we hyping her up so much never even heard of this woman. And she comes in, gets a submission, tough opponent because Montana just brings it. She doesn't care who you are and, and what you bring to the table, what your resume looks like. But sometimes expectations are almost too high and it's almost unfair to try to reach them, but she goes out, feels it out for a minute, gets a submission and gets it done. So how would you grade her return to the octagon on Saturday?
3: I mean, especially considering the ring rust and the level of opponent, it's an a, you know, I think she looked spectacular. Uh, you know, and it was not one-way traffic where she didn't see some adversity. It wasn't a uh it wasn't the best comeback fight, you know. Uh she, you know, dealt with some good defensive wrestling on the wall, she dealt with some guillotine attempts, she dealt with her fair share of adversity, and I think she passed the test with flying colors. I think if she goes back down to one fifteen, especially, with kind of her physical prowess, even at 125, was pretty dominating. Uh so at one fifteen, I've gotta imagine. There's not going to be much of a you know a gap between her getting to that title eliminator or even a title shot here soon, but I thought she looked uh, looked spectacular for her return.
2: Jed, how would you grade it?
1: Uh, a minus, not quite like an A plus um, plus, because we saw, frankly, what looked like some rust in there, like just which is to be expected. She hadn't fought in like five years, so you got to get back into the swing of things. Uh, but this this wasn't Dominic Cruz versus Tetsuya Mizugaki, right? Uh, just a perfect 30-second steamrolling. She had to work a little bit, and that's good for her. Like She's going to have knocked off that rust, uh, and it's, it's part of why this was a smart opponent, right? She didn't come back and say, throw me into the deep water. She said... I would like a a winnable fight, but a fight that will test me, Uh, a fight at a weight class that I don't intend to compete at, but then I don't have to deal with that whole aspect of this coming back, and I can just focus on getting back in the cage, doing the right stuff, getting myself together. Uh, So I thought it was really smart, everything handled, and we got the performance. Frankly, I expected it to be a little more dominant uh, because I – just was like, this just won't matter, but I think we got a good performance out of her. I mean, obviously she scores the finish, uh, gets herself back together, and now she can drop to 115 and I would say, you know, put her right into the thick of things. Maybe she'll want to get two fights before a title shot, but I'd be pretty comfortable just having her go and run. You know, uh, not the Carlos Barza fight, which I've seen floated around just because that seems really mean to Carlos Barza um, to do that to her again, coming off, you know, losing the title. Um, but if you wanted to throw her in against, I'm trying to think who else is the top five of that division right now. Uh, I don't know. Marina Rodriguez, you do that. It's fine. Like any, Jan any of that would work for me. Oh, Yan Janan, That makes sense. Do that. That's a great fight for her.
2: I should have a matchmaking show. How about that? You should. Uh, I know, right? Uh, we do have so much to talk about. I don't remember
1: (laughs) Otno this week. Is that who y'all picked from Otno?
2: That's who I picked. Is it that's who I picked. What
1: didn't want to give her like
2: Um, I forget who he picked. Jess Gundraj. He picked Jess Gundraj.
1: Oh, he's being okay. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> uh, I
2: look, guess we have so much sink yeah, or we, swim. Yeah, right. Uh, we have so much to talk about, but I, 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 I feel like we have to talk about Bellator 291 for a moment. Just one performance in particular, because there were some good performances on the card. There were a lot of fights, a lot. What, of decisions. What performance
1: could you be talking about, Mike? Come
2: on. Look, Jed. This was uh This is what we call so a one slow fight burn. Card. Yeah, it was a slow, slow one fight burn. Card. But it was all worth it because we got a sensational performance from welterweight champion Yaroslav Amosov. And after everything that man has gone through over the last year, put on just an incredible show against Logan Storley, did it on the feet. What a performance. Just one of the – just. I mean, what a story he has. Uh, and he is the Undisputed Champion. So, Jed, how impressed are you with Amosov? And I guess the big question I have for you because – There's conversation to be had about whether he is a top five welterweight in the world right now, maybe even higher in some people's eyes. Where do you rank him? Where is Yaroslav Amosov in the overall context of the welterweight picture?
1: Look, I know welterweight's super deep division. You have to give this man his flowers. He has to be considered a top five guy in the sport because what – what more can he do? Like, what? He's on un- twenty-seven and zero. That is not doable. That is an unreasonable thing to be. I used to, or said it all the time when Habib was doing his thing. Like I don't even care if he fought Tommy Fury level cab drivers. Like it's just not possible to be undefeated in this sport for that long. It is. It is an incredible accomplishment. And if you look at Amosov's record, it's not a bunch of bums. Like he is fighting good opposition. Logan Storley is a top 15 welterweight, a damn good fighter. And this was a fight that seemed set up for him to have trouble with. You know, they fought before a very, very close split decision. Storley was able to do a lot more grappling in that initial one. The great scrambles, great fight uh, in their first time around. But Storley had been active, had fought several five round fights, had won the interim belt, however disputedly that was. You know, like he had been active, or Amosov had the world on his shoulders. He literally was in in war, like literally was in combat, not combat sports, combat. And like all of that should be this huge distraction, right? To take away from his focus on this or, or just even, you know, you could channel that into motivation, I suppose, but it just is really hard for me to fathom being able to train and focus and, and, and do this kind of a job when your country is being invaded, you know, and your family can't even live at your home anymore for fear of rocket attacks. Like it is, all of it is insane and for him to come out here and put on that kind of performance on top of the rest of his resume and the fact that he has never seen him lose or never even really get particularly close to losing like do you you just have to give this man credit as a top five welterweight because i don't know that he would beat kamar usman or leon edwards etc cetera. But I don't know that he wouldn't... Like, I cannot confidently pick any man in this world to beat that dude. Uh, and that may, he's top five for me easily.
2: Joe, I don't know if you watched it or not, but you may have seen highlights or you know read recaps or whatever, but after everything this man went through to have a performance like that against a guy like Logan Storley, incredible stuff, was it not?
3: 100%. And that's the thing is uh, getting you down on the feet was super impressive. I think it showed how well-rounded he is, you know? Um, The big thing, like like Jen just said, being off, he was not only not training, but he was at war, but, you know, to be so much further ahead than the first time, when he didn't have that time to get better between fights, he was dealing with real life issues, you know? Um, So I thought maybe that's where Sterling would have closed the gap a little bit in that time off. And uh, the fact that he came out was so dominant I think that's exactly it. And I think, you know, if he had a different base beside his wrestling, you know, if he was out there submitting people and had, you know, his striking look better and looked well-rounded, that'd be great. But I think you would say, well, the guys in the UFC at the top five, you know, the wrestling is that factor. But he has world-class wrestling. That's what Usman has. That's what separates Usman from everybody else. So the same thing. I mean, of course, we don't know until they get in there. But to say he's not top five or at least top three, I'd say, would be kind of ludicrous, right? I think he would give Leon Edwards a ton of problems. And I think Usman and him, if they fought 10 times, I think he could split them right down the middle. You know, I think, uh, and I mean, just the ability to keep developing, like I said, without the time between camp, that means he came home, maybe had a little pre-camp, gotten camp and put on the performance of a lifetime. Imagine what he can do now, you know, when he's back to training full time, it's going to be uh really, really impressive. I don't think he'll ever get his due because like they did with Chandler or other guys, you know, until you're actually in the mix, they're going to say, what if, but, uh, I mean it's not like he's fighting subpar competition even in the 170 division at bellator you know so uh, i really think really think he's top three if i had to you know put a number to it
2: yeah just just incredible stuff but let us move on uh like i said there's so much to talk about the point for round one goes to great round but all he does is win joe selecki it is one to nothing well done (laughs)
1: We did talk about the event that Joe got an actual win
0: on, so I feel like this is fair. It's
1: it's reasonable.
2: Absolutely. So many bonuses, uh, so little
0: time. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov.
2: let's put a bow on this past weekend. Jake Paul suffered his first loss in the boxing world, losing a decision to Tommy Fury. I thought Tommy Fury clearly won. Paul had his moments. Obviously he had the big knockdown late in the fight, some weird refereeing, but we were wondering how we would react to Jake actually losing a fight when he's been very, very smart in picking his opponents. This time it was an actual boxer and Tommy Fury gets the big win. So, Joe, was this even on your radar? Did you watch it? And if you did, or even if you didn't, what did you think of the result? Were you surprised that Jake Paul lost to Tommy Fury?
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, yeah, I was on the plane when it was going on, but, uh, you know, big bonus. I was able to splurge for the Wi Fi. So, you know, life's good right now. But uh, I was just following on Twitter, you know, like round by round updates because I was interested, you know. Um, I don't know that I'm surprised that he lost because Tommy Fury is a, you know, legitimate boxer, but. The most surprising thing was that after it happens, we're kind of, not we, but a lot of people are changing the narrative of like, well, you know, it's a stiff test. He's a real pro boxer and all that. But the story going in, I feel like even on Jake Paul's end was this guy hasn't fought anybody. He's more of a, you know, personality also than a boxer. You know, uh, you watch Dave Portnoy and Rogan, they were getting that argument about he's never fought anybody. He can't punch. He's a real boxer, but he is not. He's not the highest level of competition. We looked, the combined opponent's record was like, what, 40 and 120 and something like that. Um, so I'm not surprised that he lost. I do know Tommy Fury is a legitimate OK boxer, but I don't think we can go back and change history and say that the lead up to this was everybody thinking Jake Paul was going to kind of crush him. Was what? I, that's what I always heard from people, you know, so I feel like uh doesn't mean he has to be done or anything like that, but definitely I think he has to stick to you know, hand-picking matchups in that wheelhouse. He cannot go above that. So we can start with the, you know, the talks of Canelo one day or, you know, crazy nonsense like that. So, uh, you know, and even I, even Pastor Prime kind of washed up, but very successful pro boxers, I think would be a bad idea at this point. So uh, obviously he can box a little bit, but I think we kind of saw it's not what, you know, he thought it was, or what everybody else thought it was. But I am kind of relieved after seeing this nonsense, of the leaked scripts and all the phony stuff that people put out there. That, you know, him taking a loss by decision does make it seem a little more real than some of the other stuff we've seen. So uh, I guess it kind of keeps it genuine in, in the grand scheme of things.
2: Jed, as you know, up until probably like two or three days before the fight, I was not into this at all. I wasn't. But I believe it was this program. You sold me on it. You pushed me off over the edge. You got me out of the backyard, onto the fence, and then you shoved me into the neighbor's yard, into watching this fight. (laughs) <laughs> and based on what you said about this fight heading in, one would guess you were pretty surprised by this result. Were you not?
1: No. What I, I feel like we're remembering this differently. I was surprised by what it looked like, not necessarily this result, right? Because the way I got you into this, Mike, is I said, look, I'm legitimately interested to see. We're going to get the answer to some questions here. The questions being, what does Jake Paul look like when he fights some dude that's young? And that's it right like it is to me this whole thing has been less about Tommy Fury the boxer to to some extent it's there and what we saw him do to Jake Paul involved a lot of boxing but it was mostly Tommy Fury is young and can sort of match Jake physically and that we haven't seen that because even though Tyron Woodley hits much harder than Tommy Fury and Anderson Silva is a better boxer than Tommy Fury even They are low-volume, low-output guys. They aren't going to do things, whereas Tommy Fury, at the minimum, knows at least a little bit, and he has a corner that is great. Like Obviously, his corner is exceptional, considering his half-brother is the champion of the goddamn world. So they could tell him, hey, here are the things, and he could at least come with the game plan and try to effectuate it. I had no confidence he could actually do it because – he struggled with Anthony Taylor like he hasn't looked good, but I at least wanted to see what would happen when Jake Paul boxed some dude who was at least young. And mm-hmm. honestly, that's my big takeaway in this fight, is that okay, like Jake Paul is is who I thought he was from a boxing standpoint. He doesn't have a lot of tools, but he's willing. Like he, he is not shirking away from getting into a scrap with somebody. He just doesn't have the tools and because the way his career had been sculpted, he never knew realistically that he didn't have these tools. He probably to some extent thought that like, oh, I can just wing this right hand at people and I'll hit them and they'll fall over and it's it's a little harder than that when you get to people who are going to fight back in a way, and we saw him have success. We saw him drop Tommy Fury, We saw Jake grow in this fight. He started throwing his own uh, counter left hook and a jab uh, and his own jab. And he ends up dropping Fury in, in the eighth, right? Like I thought this fight was pretty good. It is what it is. These aren't two guys who are ever going to fight for a real championship, but I agree with Joe. Like one of the biggest takeaways for me is great. We can now stop the very idiotic pretending of Canelo, but Jake Paul can move forward with his boxing career, right? Like, I don't think that it, they're going to run this back and that's fine. But like, if Jake wants to continue boxing, okay. If people are interested, if he can draw up interest in it, I don't think he is forced to stick in former MMA fighter land. I think he can broaden himself out because like he showed that he's at least a boxer. Like he, he's willing to box. And we've seen that from, from jump to here, right? It, He's not great at it, but there are a lot of boxers and a lot of combat sports athletes who aren't necessarily great at it, but who still get out there and do it because they like to do it. If Jake can do that, but also draw, you know, a hundred thousand pay-per-view buys. then Credit to him.
2: Yeah, I'd, maybe it was MBB when uh, you said you were going to place a hefty wager on Jake Paul. Maybe that's where I got thrown off. But yes, oh, you did.
1: You did. You did. Sell I did. I did bet on Jake Paul for sure because I just thought that like. Tommy Fury isn't very good Uh, and Jake – he gets hit with right hands a lot and Jake Paul has a decent one. I was like, oh, Jake Paul knows what he's doing, right? Like he has expertly selected his opponents. Uh, They got a little over their skis on this one.
2: So Jed, you said they're going to run this back and both guys seem to want that. But the question is like is that smart for Jake Paul to run this one back? Like it would make money but if you lose again – you know, where is he at? There's obviously the Nate Diaz possibility. Some say that might be dead because he lost Tommy Fury. I'm not sure if I actually buy that, because I do think that's there and it would be a very healthy, but healthy pavery. But if you are the Jake Paul matchmaker, are you running this back or are you going a different
1: direction with him? A thousand percent. I don't understand the narrative that some people have come out with that that this is we're done with this and there's no need. One, this is the real, like, best opportunity for Jake to have, like, a rivalry that means something, right? Because Tommy Fury is a good foil for him in several respects, particularly with this win. Uh, and if he runs this back, if he comes out and knocks Tommy Fury out, then cool, we're done. But if he comes and he wins, it's another competitive fight, then they can run a trilogy and then keep the money train going. And the thing is, he, he can win this fight. Like he he lost a split decision. I scored it for Tommy Fury. I, I felt very good. I think I had it 75-73, something like that. Uh, but a lot of the rounds were close. If you scored it for Jake Paul, it's not like a total travesty, right? Like it's it is an explicable scorecard, particularly getting the knockdown in the final round. And it's he can win this fight. Maybe he will grow and learn a little bit more. Maybe Tommy comes in overconfident because he won it in the rematch. Like. This is his level of opposition. And so running it back with a guy at your level, a guy who people are going to be interested in watching, that makes all the sense in the world to me. So I, I think for sure you run this one back. And frankly, if I'm Tommy uh, or in Tommy's Corner, I would consider losing, <laughs> you know? like Because <laughs> the, the reality is here uh, – Jake has options. Jake doesn't have to run this back. They could run Nate Diaz. They could do whatever. Like some people will tune into Jake. He is – he's captivated the public's imagination. Uh, What you do next with Tommy Fury is super weird. There are very limited options as far as I can tell uh, that would do any sort of business. This is clearly the best move for Tommy as a rematch. And so to extrapolate that a little further, a, a trilogy match is also going to be the best move for Tommy after that. So yeah, you know, Tommy, if you're listening, don't take a dive, but maybe don't try your hardest, you know? Yeah. We'll see what Mike Perry's script looks like for for this next one. But
2: Joe, I, I think you wear a promoter hat from time to time in the grappling world, but if you were tasked to book Jake Paul's next fight, would you run this one back or would you, are you done with this? You're closing the door, moving on to, to other opportunities.
3: That's what I was gonna say. I run like a mom and pop grappling promotion, Olin Grappling, shout out to them. But uh, So I'm not as qualified to speak on it, but if I was wearing the manager hat, which I also don't wear, um, I do think I would take it just on the risk that people, just cause we're so like, what have you done for me lately? I wonder if you're trying to do pay-per-view buys you know, and also thinking longevity, I just wonder if people are like, well, we've seen that. And and even though it was a good fight, they may say split decision. It's neither here nor there. I don't want to watch that again. I think if you put someone like Nate Diaz in there, hey, I think that actually favors Jake Paul, which I can't believe I'm saying that. But just with the age and everything else and the size. Um, and, you know, if you put Nate Diaz in something, people are going to tune in. Whereas I think you run the risk with the Tommy Fury rematch of you know, he may lose again and then it's, we got to pack it in, right? He's lost two, especially in boxing. But I think if you go to Nate Diaz, you're still capitalizing on the pay-per-view by short term, but I think long-term that could rejuvenate him, set him up for a few more where he could afford to lose one, you know, and, you know, maybe his record's a little better than if he just rematches Tommy Fury. And now what is he like five and two or something like that? So um, I I would go Nate Diaz, but I see the pros to both. I think long-term you take somebody like he's been doing these retired MMA guys or, you know, tail end MMA guys and, you know, let him bounce back and do pay-per-view buys at the same time.
2: Well, it is time to move on. Let's get to the place where most of you are here to find out about and hear about. And that's where we're going. KSW? We're going to UFC 285. Oh. No, we're going to UFC 285. The point for round two goes to... Jed
1: Mishu. Jed Michoud. <laughs> Really committed there, Mike. I sure did. It's
2: Shout amazing. out KSW. Yes. Phil DeFries, what a heavyweight. Cheese steak Phil. What a run this guy is on. But uh, all right, UFC 285. What a freaking card this is. The main card rules. A lot of the prelims are interesting and they matter. In the main event, we have the return of John Jones. First fight in over three years, making his heavyweight debut. Not against Francis Ngannou. But he will do it against Fran- against Cyril Ghosn, Francis Ghosn, who's final opponent in the UFC. So many freaking questions about this fight on both sides, Joe Selecki, mostly on the John Jones side because of the layoff, et cetera. What's your biggest question about this fight that you are Hold most on. excited Hold to get the an answer to there today? What? What? what?
1: Who put that banner up? Because that banner, A-plus work. I just, we <laughs> need to respect that. Hey, Casey? A plus shit, man. <laughs> now please proceed,
2: Joe. Uh, Joe, what is your biggest burning question? And is it John Jones being back and heavier than ever?
3: I mean, the weight is definitely a thing. The also the time off. And We haven't seen him like this. You know, he's typically come back from longer layoffs and been a little flat. And his last few outings, I know he blames that on motivation and other things. They were close. You know, they weren't blowouts like we've seen him in other fights. Uh, and when we've seen him heavier, that especially in the time off in the OSP fight, he was a little slower, he wasn't the same guy. So all that being said, he's still John Jones. And I do believe if he is motivated for something, you know, that favors him. But also the new discipline, you know, if he truly is being, you know, as regimented, as disciplined, as calculated as he is. I wonder if that doesn't take away from the magic of what makes him so special. It seems like reckless John Jones running out there throwing flying knees to open a title fight was what made him who he is, you know? Um, With all the new training implemented, all the discipline, I wonder if he's going to lose some of that. And I do wonder if he's going to be a little slower, you know? I don't know that just because Cyril Gaon, you know, definitely has a striking base it may still be difficult to take him down if you're not naturally that size. You know, I know he's put on size, but, you know, Francis is naturally as big and as strong as Francis is. Um, That fits his frame. So it'll be interesting to see if, you know, Gon can stop a takedown or two. Is that going to drain John Jones because he's putting so much mass? So um, I'm definitely intrigued. I don't think it's the walk in the park that a lot of people have been, you know, kind of selling it as. Uh, I wasn't as intrigued at first. I wanted to see him come back and fight Francis. Still would love to see that. But uh, as it gets closer, I think there is a lot more questions than just John Jones come back running through another, you know, another division. I think it very well could favor uh, gone, You know, if it goes past a little while.
2: What's your biggest question about it now, Jed? Is it on the Jones side? Is it on? Maybe it's on the Cyril Gone side. Who knows? Where are you at? What's the biggest burning question you have?
1: I mean, it's just what the hell does John look like? Right? Like he hasn't fought in three years. He hasn't won a fight in four. Uh, he didn't. I've I've rewatched Dom Cruz fight a bunch. He just didn't win that fight. Um, I don't even think he won the Thiago Santos fight, though. If you scored it for John, that's totally fine. Uh, but he didn't look. Undeniably, did not look good in either of them, uh, and to some extent, didn't even look that great against Anthony Smith. Right, and we talked about this in no Bard this week. I understand the inclination to believe John when he says I wasn't motivated, etc. I have two main problems with that uh, aside from the fact that it's just like a very convenient answer for why you look like shit. Uh, one, if you weren't motivated, why were you still doing this? Why not move to light heavyweight earlier? Why keep coming back if you aren't motivated? So I take a lot of grain of salt. And the other is like, I think the simpler and more correct answer is probably that the division caught up to him, that he's old and he's only 35. And I know I'm sure the comments are already exploding because people hate when I point this out, uh, <laughs> the fighters are old and fight like fighters are old and get worse or whatever. But mid to late thirties is pretty, pretty much it generally when your athletic peak starts to decline and historically 10 to 12 years is when your fight miles catch up to you. Like that is just a lot of years in the gym, fighting, training, working. I've seen it with all the greats. They're great. And the true, true elite elites of the elites, Anderson Silva can extend their primes. Even after they've lost their fastball, they can win with off-speed pitches. I got to say, it felt a lot like John was winning with off-speed stuff in his last couple of outings. And so taking some time off to move to a new weight class, which is generally easier to move up, upper tends to be easier than the lower weight classes i have no idea what he's going to look like i have no idea what approach he's going to take to this fight we know nothing about what this fight is going to look like truly we have no clue so if john jones comes out and wrestles like Joe said, maybe Gon, maybe can't take Gone down. Go back and watch that fight. Francis and who took Gon down a whole bunch. He also did it by just being a hoss, by being 275 of rock solid muscle and just manning that dude down. Can John do that at 240? No clue. Genuinely no idea. Does he not? Does he do uh, the worst version of John Jones where he just tries to play rangy kickboxer? Like that I don't have none of us know. At all what's about to happen. And so this fight is entirely questions. Like you can't feel confident in any way about what is about to take place, who's about to win, how it's going to look like. It's all up in the air, which makes it fascinating. Like that's why I'm tuning in on Saturday. I would like to know the answer to these questions and we're going to get them.
2: And that's, that's what's interesting about hearing you talk about this, Jed, because I remember when this fight was first booked, you were very confident that Cyril Ghosn yep. was going to not just win, but run over John. And as the fight gets closer and closer, it seems like
0: because of the tape. questions,
2: yeah, and you watch tape. So you I assume you don't feel as confident. Now you just said it, but this will not be a, a Cyril run over type performance as you previously thought.
1: It could be. It could be John running over Cyril. It could be anything. Like when I went and watched the tape, like my initial reaction to this was just like, well, John has historically had his worst performances against athletic dudes who could match his physicality. Uh, and Cyril gone is obviously that and is a better range kickboxer, which is where despite all logic and reason, John seems to prefer fighting like, the, that is the most frustrating part of the John Jones experience to me is he's the best clinch fighter in the history of the sport and he refuses to do it because he is long and just wants to do that despite being bad at it. Like, despite it actively being the worst part of his game, he tries to do it the most. And if he does that against Gone, like, I just like, oh, he's going to lose because Cyril Gon will kick his legs and move around the outside and I'll be done. And I watched the tape and I was just like, I don't have any idea, man. Because... I will gone wanna throw kicks if John's gonna catch the kicks and take him down. John is pretty good at catching kicks thrown against him. Uh, that oblique kick, it, like this fight could suck ass is is where I've settled on. <laughs> it could it could be really cool. Like, it could be John taking him down, elbowing his face off. It could be Cyril Gan just putting on a kickboxing lesson. Or this could be 25 minutes of them both standing 12 feet apart from each other and kicking each other in the knee. Like, its I have no confidence in what this fight is going to look like. And when I watched the tape, I was just like, oh, there are a lot of ways for John to succeed here. Because Cyril Gan doesn't make the best choices all the time. Uh, And so I, I just have no... I can't feel confident in Gon. Like, I think this fight should favor him. I have no confidence that it will.
2: Joe, some people say, and look, we all wanted to see John versus Francis. We all wanted to see it, you know, the light heavyweight goat against the terrifying Francis and Ganu. And there are some people who say, that of the options in front of John currently, or where they were a few months ago, whether it be Francis or Stepe, and now Cyril Gon, that Gon might actually be the toughest stylistic matchup of the three. And I don't know if I agree with that, but when you break this one down, do you? Is there a case to be made that Gon is the toughest stylistic matchup, or are you not really buying into that?
3: I mean, I'm worried that I'm like criminally underestimating uh, Gon because I feel like. At heavyweight, he's he's not an he's not the knockout artist that Francis is, where I feel like John could control Francis for four rounds, and like the Stipe fight with Francis, the first one, where you're just going, you're still holding your breath, going, yeah, but he's still going to start on the feet in another round. I don't think Cyril is that guy, but he still is a heavyweight, natural heavyweight with good kickboxing. He could knock him out, of course, um, or he could outpoint him. So I think it is an intriguing matchup, but I think where, you know, the the Stipe fight and the Francis fight. Were more intriguing to me was they're more based off the physicality. I think no matter you know, Stipe fights at range, of course, he uses his boxing, some low kicks, um, and we know that John can get sucked into that too. But they would have ended up clinched up, it would have been competitive certain areas. There would have been that physicality. Like Jed said, I do worry that you know this can be them staring at each other for five rounds and uh, and not deliver. You know, which would be just it would be very anticlimactic for John's comeback. So um, I hope it's not that. I do think. You know, Cyril's dangerous, of course, but uh, he also doesn't make good decisions. That's what Jed just said. That's true. Like, he kind of threw away a title fight by dropping back on a leg lock. Um, and John is an IQ guy. So I do think it's John's fight to win as long as all the boxes are actually checked. And like I said earlier, that checking the boxes didn't hurt him by being too disciplined because he's kind of a loose cannon by nature. And, you know, as long as the changes to heavyweight, you know, didn't catch up to him, as long as he's developed like a natural heavyweight and not, you know put artificial muscle, muscle on that he can't fuel, you know, cause that is a realistic possibility. It's a first camp in his new body, so to speak. So uh, yeah, it wasn't my first choice. I definitely would've taken Francis or Stipe first, but I think this could be a great fighter. I think it could be, you know, an absolute wash where we're going, all right, I wish I would've turned it off, I had to become main. So obviously I hope it's the first one.
2: And look, I, I think it's important to note and John Jones has a lot of faults and he's done a lot of awful crap and it's not what? forgotten about. It's not forgotten John? about. It isn't forgotten about. And people bring it up all the time. Well, John's coming back. You don't talk about that. I don't it, look, it is what it is. He's done a lot of awful crap. We all know it. But the one thing about sports and MMA in general, mostly sports, is that these things are never forgotten, but it becomes sort of a further away. Storyline and the overall competitive story when you compete and when you win. And John Jones winning this fight and being the heavyweight champion 100% is better for business. It's better for the UFC as a brand. It makes the division more interesting to fans. And we would probably get a fight between Jones and Stipe next, which would be a big 100%. deal. But Joe, let me ask you this what if he loses? What if John Jones loses on Saturday? To Cyril Gone, where do you go now? I mean, you built this thing up for three years. You bulked up. You put on fifty pounds of extra size. All of this, <laughs> <bulked up> this- <laughs> you couldn't even say muscle, Mike. You couldn't say it. It's not a bodybuilding competition, Jen. It's not a bodybuilding competition. But where does he go if he loses, Joe? Where does he go? I, I mean. I think he'll ride off into the sunset because I
3: think it's just too... Unless he's going to want to show he's still dominant light heavyweight and go back, but we just talked about it. He just put on all this... It was a three-year process. I'm even more intrigued on what happens to the division because, yes, it was a close fight between Gon and Francis, but it kind of taints the heavyweight title. And honestly, now that you're saying that, I'd really like to see that. Not the, Nothing against the UFC. I just kind of... feel like the Joker. I just kind of want to watch the division burn, you know, just see the chaos um, and see Stipe come back and get his due you know so um for john i think he's such an x factor he could pull the whole the humble thing and actually do it and come back in six months and fight again or we may never never see him again he may not be able to take the fact that now he's tainted he can't claim that he's the pound for pound number one and all that stuff because he actually went to the other division especially after volkanovsky's performance in showing he's kind of still right up there at the pound, for pound top um But I think in the division, it's even more intriguing because you're like, okay, so now what happens? We're kind of writing off Stipe because the UFC kind of wrote him out of the script. You know, Francis is gone. And now we have this guy that just beat the guy. Then what happens? So I think all the way around, I think it could kind of be a very bitter end for John to kind of make the division, you know, need quite a bit to recoup. You know, I think it'll take some time. Uh, So I'm very intrigued by that.
2: Jed, what if John Jones loses on Saturday? What if he loses his fight? What do we do? It'll be the funniest thing in the world.
1: It will be, it would be just prime. Like all this trash talk, all this Francis was scared of me, bullshit narrative. And then he comes and loses. It would be, it would be great. Uh, it probably won't happen because that's not how the MMA gods work. But if he loses Mike, you know, the answer to this, right? Like we, we've talked about it it's it's pretty obvious he can't go back to lay heavyweight he'd like look at him he's not go, he's not making 205 anymore uh fortunately there's the rematch we've been clamoring for all of us have been asking for this rematch at heavyweight oh. from way back in the day he happens to be under UFC contract a little man by the name of Paco Porter Mike we can finally get the Parker Porter rematch that's what's next Parker, I am confident Parker Porter at heavyweight can make it longer than the 36 seconds that he made the first time around.
2: Oh my
3: gosh. Wow. All right, well. <laughs> you, just teed, you teed
1: that one up way too easy. <laughs>
2: I mean, I thought you were going to say, hey, look, Stepe has one more fight left. He could fight John, win or lose. But I didn't expect the Pacaporta card to be played uh, at this point in
1: the proceedings. But We got to build are. John back up after this loss.
2: For the heavyweightiest heavyweight title?
1: Oh, it would be the best.
2: Oh, man. All right. Well, there's a lot more at the UFC 285, so let us move on to the rest of this ridiculous card. The point for round three goes to... <laughs> I mean, Jed just stole it with yeah, that yeah, with yeah, yeah. match. It's two to one. He <laughs> you knows, know how to play to he, the audience.
0: Yeah, you know how
2: to <laughs> play to the host. You know how it works. Uh, so, rest of this main card, we have Valentina Shevchenko looking for flyweight title defense number eight against Alexa Grasso. We have Shafka Rachmanov versus Jeff Neal. We have Matush Gamrov versus Jalen Turner. And we have the UFC debut of Bo Nickel against Jamie Pickett. Jed, let me start with you. How does this main card stack up to a lot of the others we've had in the last 12 to 14 months? Because this one really sticks out to me.
1: Oh, it's the best. Uh, I think, was it 280? Was that the uh, Islam Charles Oliveira fight card? Yes. Uh, That was a really good main card, Uh, but that's like the only one, honestly, within the last year that I can think that sort of rivals what 285's got going on. I mean, two title fights uh, are arguably you know if john jones wins there will be certainly plenty of people saying that he's the top pound for pound fighter in the world valentina shevchenko is the top female pound for pound fighter in the world so at the top of the billing you've got everything you could want two all-time greats if shevchenko wins this one i think she ties john jones for most consecutive title defenses uh like number three or four on the list so the top of the bill is as good as it gets uh I don't know if we're going to specifically talk about, uh, you know, the Matush Gamrat, Jalen Turner fight, but that fight is my everything. So <laughs> I couldn't be more excited about that fight. Uh, I mean, Jeff Neal, Shavka Rachmanov fights a banger and you've got Bo nickel, you know, Bo, uh, this is squash match, but it's a squash match for the best prospect in the sport. Right. So it's the, this main card is as good as it gets, uh, I struggle to think of many cards that have ever been had a better main card. The rest of the card, it, it, it's a slow burn, as you say, Mike. Uh, some of the early prelims are uh, don't get your blood boiling in any kind, kind of way, but the later prelims are mostly pretty good. And the main card, the card you actually have to pay the money for, it's as good as you can ever expect to get, so... Uh, this is one of the rare weekends, Mike. I normally come on this program or on any of our other programs and say, if you got something else to do, if you need to go apple picking, if the the (laughs) wife wants you to spend some time with the family, just tune into ammfine.com. Great website. We'll keep you covered and you can do those other obligations. Not this weekend. I don't care what you have. You know, uh, you can skip out on that work party. It's unnecessary because you want to be watching 285 on Saturday.
2: Joe, as a fan, how good is this main card? Oh, I think it's
3: spectacular. You know what I mean? I think they're doing a really good job of bundling... You know, I think that uh, Matouche and Jalen Turner fight is in the perfect slot because it could be a... You know, not that he didn't have a great fight against Arush, but it could be, you know, the bounce back of Matush Gamrot, or it could kind of... Not that everyone in the sport who follows the sport religiously knows who Jalen Turner is, but this could propel him into that top... Ranking where he's going to be getting talks of, you know, the big fights that seem to be, you know, kind of impossible to get unless you're already in the in crowd the Michael Chandlers, Poirier's, all those guys. So you're kind of bundling him underneath John Jones, where, you know, everyone's tuning in and now this will be the coming out party for him. Or it'll put Gamrat right back in the mix, where same thing for him, he can start getting those fights outside of, you know, the really dangerous but lesser known fights. Um, same thing with uh, Shavkot. He's kind of. Obviously, everybody that follows MMA like that knows who he is and what he's capable of, but we haven't seen him in that big slot yet. And uh, obviously, I think they have their, you know, who they want to win that, which I think would be him. But same thing for Neil. If he comes out and upsets him, I mean, that's a coming out party for Jeff Neil. That puts him right back into the top rankings where, you know, he can go on a run. Um, And I think, obviously, we know what they're doing with Bo. You know, I'm teammates with Jamie. There's no – that's not a secret, but we know – what that's supposed to be you know they're putting him on the on the opening of the bill for that reason they want the world to be introduced to the you know the best prospect in mma what they think it's going to be so you know whether it happens or not i feel like they set themselves up for pretty much it's going to be successful for the ufc no matter what entertaining for the fans there's going to be a ton of to talk about um and even if it goes that way and then john jones and Cyril gone super boring that's going to draw you know tons of controversy it's a great weekend for fight fans. I think it's also a great weekend for the UFC because they kind of win no matter what the outcome is. Uh, other than Cyril Ghosn maybe going out there and running through John Jones, that would just be hilarious for the fans, not so much for the brass, the UFC. But other than that, they're going to generate new stars, they're going to get a ton of eyes, and there's going to be a ton of talk about it this weekend, which some of the cards, you know, even the pay-per-views can go under the radar. This is not one of them.
2: Joe, I mean, I'm going to take the main event, and I'm taking the Bo Nickel Jamie Pickett fight off the table as well because Jamie's your teammate, and you're going to watch it anyway. So, if there's one other fight outside of those that you are watching, if you can only watch one, what are you picking? Are you picking the Valentina fight? Are you picking the one in your division that you just talked about? Shavkat's a big deal. There's some good prelim fights on on there that are interesting and actually matter. So, where are you at? You can only watch one fight. Can't pick the main event. Can't pick your teammate. What are we watching?
3: Yeah, it, it depends. It depends if I'm home with my wife, then she gets the president. She's going to want to watch Valentina. I didn't know this till like one fight ago of her. She's like, she's one of my all time favorites. How did you not know that? I'm like, because I don't, she's dominant and she's so dominant, I don't really care when she fights because I figure she's going to win. Um, but if it's my choice, I'm going Jalen Turner and, uh, and Matouche. I just, you look at the performance that Matouche just had against Darush. It was a spectacular fight, you know. Um, and Jalen Turner is an X factor, man. He can go out there and get, you know, taken down and controlled. But he also has great jiu-jitsu. He's got, you know, super fantastic boxing. Um, and I really, that's a pick em for me. I have no idea who's going to win. And that's what makes fights fun to watch, right? Uh, not to mention it's in my division, so it's always more intriguing. But, you know, they're way above me. But uh, I think that's the fight. You know, I think that's going to be the one that could honestly end up being the one that steals the show. But for me, that's definitely the one I'm most interested in.
2: Jed, I think you're probably going to piggyback on this because you said that's your everything. You're writing it love letters. The
1: fight's the best fight. That fight's incredible. Uh, The only very small downside to that fight is that it's short notice, right? Like, uh, Good for Dan Hooker because he was about to get his ass beat, so he avoided an ass whooping. But Matush Gamrot coming in on short notice is the old, But he still had like a month as Gamrot. He's a psychopath. Like, this, I doubt that this is really going to influence or affect him at all. This fight rules. Uh, I, t- I talked about this on No Bet's Bard, right? So this fight honestly looks a lot like... Matush Gamara is kind of like a supercharged version of Matt Frivola, right? Um, and Jalen Turner fought Matt Frivola. And when I went back and I was watching that fight, I was like, this fight's really good. Why didn't it win fight of the night? Uh, Because it didn't get any. And then I realized that, oh, that fight actually happened at UFC 236, which was the event where the top two fights of 2019 were (laughs) with Israel Adesanya, Kelvin Gastelum, and then Max Dustin too. I was at that event. And yeah, those were the two best fights of 2019 and like of the 15 best fights ever. So that fight kind of flew under the radar in there. But that was before Jalen Turner was really good. And that fight was awesome. Now we get a better version of Matt Favola, basically, in Matush Gamrot and a better version of Jalen Turner. The fight is going to be bananas. I could not be more excited to watch this one go down. I've been really uh, high on Gamrot in general, but I've been even higher on Turner. I've said that I think that he is going to win a title, certainly fight for the lightweight belt at some point in time. And I just cannot wait for this fight. Like If I could only watch one fight this weekend – it wouldn't even be the main event. It would absolutely be this fight.
2: Some high praise. All right, last thing. Jed, bold prediction for anything that happens on this card.
1: Oh, bold pre- Anything that happens on this card. Uh, bold prediction. Uh, I don't know how bold this is, but he is a, a betting underdog and not a small one. I think Jalen Turner is going to beat Matush Gamrot. Um, I love Jalen Turner. I believe Jalen Turner, like I said going to fight for about one day he's six foot three mike it doesn't make sense how he's a lightweight he's got great boxing got great power sneaky grappler and he has tarantula arms so he could sneak chokes in out of nowhere he's six three he's good he's the future of this division i'm sorry joe you get him now joe <laughs> Win a fight and call him out now because he's only going to be more. He's 27. He's only going to be a bigger problem moving forward. So he's apparently, he's actually like a decent-sized betting underdog, and I'm picking him to beat Matush Camrod. So that will be my uh, shocker of, of the evening. Joe, what do you got? Out of the box, bold take, or prediction. I think
3: the UFC heavyweight title loses value over the weekend. That's my prediction. I think it's either going to be one way traffic for Cyril, or a boring fight that no matter who wins, you're like, oh, they're not the rightful champion, and I think it leaves it in kind of chaos. I know it doesn't usually work that way. That's what you know we talked about earlier. It never just seems to to go the way it's supposed to go. But I think, I think this is the time. I think that the UFC title is not, for the first time probably ever, the heavyweight champion in the UFC is not the best heavyweight on the planet.
2: Oh, I like it. All right.
1: Mike, do you know who the third tallest man on this fight card is? <laughs> Jalen it's the Turner, lightweight. It's the lightweight. There are two heavyweights and then a bunch of middleweights who are all smaller than this man. All right, I'm well, just saying
2: something. Something to know for for you statistical gurus out there. All right, point for round four. Drum roll, please. Joe Selecki. It's two to two. <laughs> and you know what that means. We got time for one more question. It's the knockout round. One minute apiece for each of these individuals to answer the same question. And once that is done, you can go in the poll, MAFighting.com's YouTube channel, which has probably been up there for a minute, and vote for who you think's going to win. We'll bring Casey in. He will announce the winner. So Jed... You have the prerogative, my man. Are you going first? Are you passing it over, a la Price is Right, to Joe Select?
1: Oh, I'll go first. Why not? All right. I have no idea what you're even going to ask this time, so. I mean, it
2: seems pretty clear since we didn't talk about this, and because Joe's back on the show, it's only fitting that some weird, wacky, out-of-nowhere... BKFC news comes to fruition because that's what happened the last time Joe was on the show. Uh, We found out (laughs) yesterday. We found out yesterday (laughs) on the MMA Hour with our good pal Ariel Helwani. BKFC president Dave Feldman comes on and made some big announcements. They have signed Luke Rockhold and Eddie Alvarez, both former UFC champions, to the promotion. They will both compete at BKFC 41 in Colorado, April 29th luke rockhold will fight mike perry and eddie alvarez will fight chad mendez so jed one minute your reaction to this were you surprised by this is this the right move is this good is this bad does it make you feel good does it make you feel icky one minute go
1: i'm super surprised i don't if anyone had this on their 2023 bingo card congratulations you're a hero (laughs) uh Let's start the Eddie Alvarez, Chad Mendes fight. Seems pretty fun, right? Like, I I don't have any issues with that. Not hearing the way Eddie talked about it. You know, he's still open to pursue other options. He's just excited about this one. Cool. Uh, The Luke Mike Perry is the real curveball. We're just talking about big, tall dudes. Mike Perry is 5'10". Luke's like 6'3". These guys aren't in the same weight class. Granted, uh, Luke Rockhold doesn't like to get hit with left hooks, and Mike Perry can at least throw one. Uh, That's just a very weird fight that doesn't make any sense to me. But this is great work from BKFC. I'm going to tune in to watch. I watch them anyway because BKFC is generally pretty fun. But you're giving me a bunch of people that I at least have a history and know. And even if they're fights that are a little odd or maybe don't make total sense, this is better than Diego fighting a former boxer. uh, And this is going to do big numbers for them. So I'm all this great. Super for it.
2: Are you saying, Jed, are you putting out a stat that Luke Rockhold and Jalen Turner are the same height? Same height. They are the same
1: height, Mike. Tall middleweight Luke Rockhold is the same height as lightweight Jalen Turner. If you stood Jalen Turner next to Cyril Ghosn and John Jones, he's like, here. It is that difference. Like, it's, it's insane that this man makes 155.
2: Oh, man. Speaking of Big 155 Joe did that last weekend and won a, won a big fight. But last time you were on, it was when we were we, – we found out MVP was fighting Mike Perry in BKFC. Mike Perry versus Michael Venom Page. And now we get another Mike Perry announcement fighting Luke freaking Rockhold, April 29th. He signed with the promotion. Eddie Alvarez signed with the promotion, former UFC lightweight champion. He's fighting Chad Mendez. What is your reaction to this? A day after this big announcement, Joe, are you in on this? Do you feel a certain way? One minute on the clock. Go.
3: Uh, Well, I mean, it's funny that the two times I've been on the show have been the two, only two announcements from BKFC I've been like interested in. Um, I don't hate Rockhold Mike Perry. It kind of makes sense in a weird way. But the only thing about it is I think it was poor decision making by Rockhold. He just had trouble in a fight Raves getting hit a bunch and it was at high elevation. So what does he, and he gassed out completely. So what does he do come into, you know, a different sport against a guy whose wheelhouse it's kind of in is Mike Perry at high elevation in Colorado. I you think know, that's foolish. Um, it made me sad at first Freddie Alvarez, but then I realized like he's really intelligent financially from all the people I've ever talked to that are pretty close to him and know him. So it made me sad more so for the sport that for a guy who's won a title on pretty much everything he's ever done except for one, uh, that this was the highest bidder, you know? It could also be kind of a bucket list thing for him, so obviously he's a grown man, he can make his decision, but I just, even though Chad Mendez is, is older, we know that Eddie doesn't really subscribe to the whole performance enhancing drug thing. Can't say the same for Chad, given the failure in the past and how he looks right now, so it just seems like a bit of a mismatch, but I definitely will watch that actually, which would probably be the second time I've ever watched Bare Knuckle other than having some teammates fight, so uh, I, I don't hate it, I like it, but just kind of weird out of nowhere.
2: Yeah, someone asked me earlier this morning, like, why would BKFC do this? Like, it just seems wrong. I'm like, well, think about what the other option could have been. You're going to get Luke Rockhold against Mike Perry, who Luke's going to be the bigger fighter. And the other option was Luke signs with Bellator and Johnny Eblen takes him down and just beats the brakes off of him. So you kind of pick your poison. And that's kind of like, those are
1: the two options. I'm I'm pretty here for Luke Rockhold versus Johnny Ublin if we're being <laughs> real though
2: um, I mean um, that's why I said Johnny should have called Luke out after he won that pretty
1: here fight. for that
2: but now I, gonna
1: I thought you were going to say the actual true option which is Luke Rockhold versus Francis Ngannou would be KFC <laughs> <laughs> which is I'm also here for but for very different reasons
2: fair alright well <laughs> uh, get your votes in Get those in. Uh, Casey's going to jump on in a minute. I got to waste some time here uh, and then we'll bring Casey in. So uh, tomorrow we'll have a preview show. We'll have the weigh-in show for UFC 285. uh, Noon Eastern, I believe that is going down. So you can watch it right here on this channel live as it happens. Jose Youngs, our colleague, is in Las Vegas right now. So he will have the camera on the fighters as they weigh in. We'll have a preview show 3 p.m. tomorrow. Ceremonial weigh-ins, all that fun stuff. We will be ready to go. I believe there's a a Q&A happening tomorrow as well, so we'll have video on that. Saturday, off to New York. It'll be myself and GC in the MMA hour studio. UFC 285 watch party, let's go. 9.45 p.m. Eastern time. Join us for- I'll be there. Jed will be there too. Why, Jed? Why are you
1: gonna be there? We're going all in on Shevchenko, baby. Woo! I don't <laughs> learn lessons. I do the same things over and over again.
2: So we're gonna watch Jed possibly sweat out losing all of his it's money be, on Valentina Shipchenko.
1: The, so it'll be, be must the easiest TV. fight of my gambling career.
2: <laughs> you, must see, you must see TV. Uh, don't miss it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I remember you saying that about Rose Damianus versus Carlos Esparza and, well, that didn't happen.
1: Look, I didn't realize that uh, Rose would be abducted by aliens and have her <laughs> brain replaced with someone who is absolutely opposed to hurting other people.
2: Bad fair uh well people's pre-fight show Saturday's gonna be crazy post-fight show press conference and then Saturday, sunday we'll get a couple hours sleep and then ak and i'll be back we'll be live on the youtube channel 11 a.m for a live edition of On to the next one matchmaking following ufc 285 and then we'll recap it all next week so casey do we uh are we good or is this really really close where are we at here
0: i think we're good i think we have a winner okay I think we're going to.
2: Tell All us, right. Casey. Please.
0: Right. Oh, boy. Oh, boy.
1: Casey, you're oh, not even going to put yourself in the corner?
0: Oh, hold <laughs> on. Jeez. Jeez. I'm fixing my hair. <laughs> yes. Do, do, wow. do. <laughs> All right. Ooh.
2: Come on, guys. Get your votes in. Get your votes in. Oh, it's getting oh. close, isn't it? It's
0: getting closer. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Got to pick a winner. All right. Here we go. Your winner today... Oh, first of all, great matchup. Just incredible high-level competition. I loved it. I loved it. But someone has to lose. (laughs) Your winner today with 54% of the votes is... Jed Mishu. Oh!
1: (laughs) Close battle. It was was the Parker Porter call-out. Yeah! Yeah. (laughs)
2: Perfectly timed, and maybe it was just you just spamming Jalen Turner's height compared to other fighters of his height or lesser heights throughout the program. I'm just saying, oh. it.
1: that's wild, though, right? That he's the third tallest dude on this card.
2: That is pretty wild. Jed, 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Have at it, my
1: man. Uh, guys, this weekend is what it's all about, right? Like, I am among the most aggressive in decrying when fight cards are poop. That's not this weekend, man. Like this is, this is why you're a fan. This is, this feels like an international fight week, only it's in March. And we have another pay-per-view in two weeks. Enjoy this month, everybody, because this is, this is why it is fun to follow this sport, to be engaged with this sport, and to love this sport. So I'm just genuinely really excited about 285 and next weekend and the weekend after that and the rest of this month it's let's go let's get after it
2: yes this is a very good time to be an mma fan joe uh sorry didn't go your way but you know the one that really (laughs) mattered it did go your way and you got a bunch of extra bonus money And even if you won this you wouldn't have gotten anything except uh just 38 seconds of extra camera time but uh anything you want to say before we say goodbye
3: no it was awesome to be here i'm gonna go back to the drawing board and i'm gonna come back and i'm gonna get that win back that's all i can do
2: (laughs) Ah, I love this guy. Love this guy. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> Casey, you can hit the exit music. We are done. Uh, thank you for joining us. Buckle yeah, thanks up. Thanks so much, man. It's, it's going to be a very busy couple of days here at MMAFighting.com, so stick with us. Uh, we appreciate you very much. Back next week to recap UFC 285, and I'm sure much more chaos that will happen in the MMA space. So for Jed, for Joe, for Casey on the ones and twos, the iconic voice of Esther Lynn. perhaps will take you home. I hope she does. We're done. Thank you for joining us between the wings back next week. Good everybody.
0: This has Love been y'all. between the links and MMA fighting production on the Vox Media Network.
2: You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.